good morning. Welcome to Faith with James. We're starting an Advent series, our Advent kind of a mini-series, three weeks, uh, starts today. And the title is The Fullness of Time, The Fullness of Time. Um, looking at this interesting phrase from Galatians, the fourth chapter. Next week, Dr. Arthur Sutherland from Loyola will be here. Former, he used to worship here, and now worship down in Columbia, in Columbia area somewhere. But he's, we, we've been in touch with him. He's going to come and give us some insights into the fullness of time uh, from the Gentile world. And then in two weeks, uh, youth minister Ruben will talk about the Jewish world, the Jewish longing for Jesus to come, and, and ha- the fact that he came at just the right time for the Jewish people. But today, I'm going to talk about the passage, the passage, um, this phrase, fullness of time, which Paul, he, it, it's a kind of a side comment in the passage. It's a side comment in his argument. Um, in, indeed, it, it's full of significance. Christ came at just the right time in history and just the right time for us. He still comes at just the right time <laughs> for those who call on his name who need to know grace and forgiveness of God. There's a song that um, Israel Houghton uh, sang on his South Africa album. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little car response thing he does in between songs. But he says this thing, Do you realize that you're alive in the greatest time in history? It's a very catchy song if you ever heard it. And they go over and over, over and over, you repeat. And then he says some things about it. He points to the fact that we live in the age of travel, the age of the computer, the age of the internet, and we have unprecedented ability to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And he is right in that sense. However, Jesus didn't come in this age. Jesus came over 20 centuries ago. And the scriptures say it was in the fullness of time. He came at just the right time. In Galatians 4, we're going to look at, we're going to try to understand, unpack some of the reasons why the scriptures say that. In the fullness of time, he, come, he comes to us. The, the passage in chapter uh, Galatians 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul, it's his, it's his in one sense, it's his angry letter because the Galatians are so off in their understanding of, of the good news of Christ. And he's been arguing for the gospel of grace through faith in contrast with their insistence that salvation is through works that we do. And, and the real issue behind the scenes is, is that they're too committed to their Jewish cultural patterns of living. And they don't appreciate the freedom that, that, uh, that the Gentile people had, the Gentile churches were experiencing in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of behind the scenes part of what's going on in Galatians. Let's look at Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. The ESV translation, the screen there. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, 
than an heir through God. God's word. My title is From Slave to Son. From Slave to Sons. You know, through Christ's redemption, we're given full rights, full rights as sons and daughters of God. My outline is simple. We, 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 we were slaves. We are redeemed. We're sons and daughters. Sons being that generic word for sons and daughters in the scriptures. First, we were slaves, verses 1 to 3, and then he picks it up at verse 7 when he reviews. We were slaves. Uh, Liefeld says, Walter Liefeld, one of my seminary professors, wrote a great commentary on Galatians. The contrast presented in the previous chapter between imprisonment under the law and the new relationships in Christ is clarified by an illustration drawn from a household where sons were treated as slaves until they received the full rights of the sons at the age of majority. First, the slave-like condition of the sons while they were still minors was described and applied to the human condition. That's the first three verses. And secondly, the sending of God's son to liberate slaves and make them sons is announced, verses 4 and 5. And third, the full rights of sons is disclosed. That's verses 6 and 7. So there's a lot of cultural background to what's going on as Paul talks to the Galatians here. See, a rich person's son is an heir to their estate, but it, they don't get the inheritance privilege right at birth. They, 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 they have the heir, but they don't, they don't have the privileges yet. They have to grow into maturity. The father sets a certain time when the son is mature enough to handle the riches. He needs to learn financial wisdom, that he doesn't squander the money, that, you know, dad doesn't want his money uh, disappearing, you know. He needs to learn, the son needs to learn self-control. He needs to learn not to squander the family fortune. <coughs> the rich also had slaves who were responsible to transport the child to and from the place where he got his education. They, didn't, they don't, weren't all educated in the home. They had the best minds in the world to educate their, their, their kids who had slaves. This was the guardian and manager that's talked about in this passage. Usually an older slave had that responsibility of making sure that the child got there, the son got there. A trusted, wise, older man who couldn't do all the physical labor that he used to be able to do. Uh, Lifehold says that they supervise him, discipline him, and control him. They supervise him, they discipline him, and they control him. Their orders regulate and restrain his behavior. He's under authority until the time set by his father, when he'll be free from their control and enjoy his full rights as heir and master of the family estate. When we were not in Christ, we were like a slave under the control or oversight of a guardian, is what Paul wants us to see. The guardian was the law, whether Jewish law or Gentile law or rules. We had a law that was used by God to bring us to the point where we understood that we were not mature and needed Jesus. Lifehold says this, all God's people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles, came to the inheritance of salvation in Christ out of similar situations of slavery. The pagan Gentiles were not enslaved to the Mosaic law. Jews were not enslaved to pagan idolatry. But these two situations of slavery were the, the same in one respect. Jews and Gentiles were enslaved to something less than the immediate knowledge of God enjoyed by Christians in whom they trust. John Stott says this about this. The devil has exploited God's law in order to tyrannize man in ways God never intended. God intended the law to reveal sin and drive men to Christ. That was the intention of the law. Satan uses it to reveal sin and drive men to despair. 
God gives the law as an interim step to man's justification. Satan uses it as the final step to our condemnation. God meant the law to be a stepping stone to liberty. Satan uses it as a cul-de-sac, deceiving his dupes into supposing that from its fearful bondage there is no escape. Slavery. Now, when we think slavery, we think of one thing. When we think slavery, we think of, 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 of bondage. We think of bondage. You know, a slave was one who had no freedom, therefore had bondage. But also, the main thing he's talking about here is that slaves had no inheritance right. <laughs> they had no inheritance right. But this idea of bondage is, is, is important. We, we don't use the word bondage that, that much anymore. Some people do, but we, we like to use the word addiction or things that hang us up, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex. We think of sexual addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. You saw in, in, in the bulletin, I don't think it was mentioned, in the back of the bulletin there's a, a mention about this new, the recovery support network. Okay, uh, it says uh, to help with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, whether in your own life or the life of someone you care about. Th th those are the things that hang us up, the, th the bondages, that we, the things that we can't get free from and we need help. You know, we think often of drugs and alcohol. And those, you know, th there's other hurts and, and, and hang-ups. What about uh, an addiction to work? That, that some people are enslaved to. They can't work. They, they can't rest. They have to work, work, work. Long hours, seven days a week. What about um, uh, the bondage of, of desiring the favor of people rather than the favor of God? One could please people. Being a people pleaser. What about, what about the bondage to, to the screen, television, computer, smartphone? Bondages. Other hobbies and interests that we might have. That we, when we really reflect and step back, we're in bondage. We have addictions. Now, some of these things are, are somewhat subtle, <laughs> and some are very overt, aren't they? Very, very overt. You know, in our nature, in our in our nature, in our, our Adamic nature, in Adam, we live in bondage to our own passions and lusts. We're told in the scriptures. Those Adamic drives are are, are not totally erased when we come to Christ. Every believer struggles with sin in some way. Sanctification, that, that progression toward holiness, is God, God dealing with sin in our lives as we seek to, 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 to work with him. Sanctification. And what it is, 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 is seeking to, to be free from the things that do hang us up and the bondages that we have in life. Romans 1 talks about the idolatry and, and the disordered passions that are mentioned there. Romans 6, Romans is a great book. Romans 6, uh, he talks about being slaves. He says, um, um, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, Paul says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's his definition of a believer. We're now no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of righteousness. Paul called himself a doulos of Jesus Christ bond slaves of Christ. Later in Romans 6, uh, verse 22, now you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We are free from sin and we are becoming free from sin. And that's the enigma. We are free from sin. Hallelujah. We're also becoming free from sin daily as we walk with him. 
It's a great picture in the scriptures of someone who's in bondage and is set free. It's in the Gospels, in chapter 5 of Mark and in, in chapter 8 of, or 8 of Matthew. There's a story about this man who was a, he was a demoniac. He was, so, he was in such bondage that he couldn't live in society. He had him out in the catacombs out there in the caves. And I guess the people went and fed him every now and again after he was fed. But he was, he was wild, out of control, could not deal with social uh, society. And, and Jesus goes there, and Jesus heals that man. And, and Jesus, if you remember the story, how this man was full of demons. Remember that? And, and, and the demons knew Jesus was going to heal him. Jesus, put, put, don't do that, because demons want to embody something. And, and so the demons moved into the pigs. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pigs. And they went over the mountain cliff. And, of course, that would do some problems to the economy of the land, by the way. But that's a side part of the story. But, but the point is, this man was free. <laughs> and it says he was clothed and in his right mind. And that's a picture of, 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 of sometimes the subtle and sometimes powerful bondage that, 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 that Satan can bring into our lives. And Jesus Christ sets us free from the bondages of sin. We're no longer bound by sin. We can trust him. He came to make a difference. He came to make a difference. Sees us. So now we can be clothed and in our right minds in Christ. So through Christ's redemption, we, we have the, the power over sin. We also have the full righteousness because we're no longer, we're no longer slaves. What happened? Second point. We were redeemed. Verses 4 and 5. We were slaves, verse four, but, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, there's our phrase, when the fullness of time had come, the idea that time had now fit, it was now the, the appropriate time, and all that had to happen had now happened. The time was filled, fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. Reminds us of John 3.15, that God so loved the world, he sent forth his son. Born of a woman. So, look at that phrase. He sent forth his, God sent forth his son. That speaks of his deity. That's, he's the son of God. Deity. Born of a woman. That speaks of his humanity. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Born in Bethlehem. Born in a poor stable. The son of God, the son of Mary. Born under the law. What's that? He was born in, in a Jewish context, Jewish law. And, and he fulfilled, he, in his life, he fulfilled the, 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 the requirements of Judaism. He was born in that context, a Jewish family, a Jewish uh, culture. Don't, don't minimize that. He had to come as a human being into some context. He came to a Jewish context. And he and, and with his coming, and, and, the, and, and scriptures like this of reminding us that he came in the Jewish context, it reminds all of us that our cultural context is important. Amen? Our cultural context is not something that we just trash. It's, important, it's an important part of Jesus, who Jesus was and our understanding of who he was. He came to redeem those who were under the law. That's his purpose. He came to redeem. John Murray says, the language of redemption is the language of purchase, purchase, and more specifically of ransom. A ransom is the securing of a release by a payment of a price. Redemption is directed to the bondage to which our sin has consigned us. 
in, when indicating the, this is from Scott, when indicating the costly price paid by Christ to ransom us, however, the commonest word used by the New Testament authors was neither himself nor his life, but his blood. He ransomed in his blood. It was not with perishable things, Peter says, such as silver and gold, that we were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. Romans 3, Paul says this in verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, all have sinned. This is our need. We need to confess our need. You can't receive the salvation until you confess that, you, that you're a sinner, that you're part of the all who have sinned um, and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfection, God's excellencies. We're just declared right or justified as a gift, free grace. It's a gift. We realize we have to come to a point where we realize it's not our effort, it's it's God's gift towards us, this, this great salvation. It's a redemption that's through Christ Jesus, through his through who he is and his perfections and his in his perfect keeping of the law of God. And then as the Lamb of God, his perfect work on the cross is a substitute for us. It's his person and his work both together. Don't, don't ignore his perfect life. If he, ha- if he was not sinless, his death would have been for himself. But if he was the sinless, the spotless lamb of God, he can die for sinners like you and me. Person, the work of Christ. And because of that, we are redeemed. And we have to exercise faith, simple faith, in Christ Jesus to get that redemption. You know, many people shop online. I understand shopping online is really escalating uh, this Christmas season. It's becoming more and more of a thing. There's two things you have to do when you shop online. First, you have to have a computer. I know that. But there's two other things you have to do. (laughs) One, you have to search around, and and you have to make a selection. What do I want to buy? Let me buy from here, from Amazon, from Walmart. You make a selection, right? But after you make a selection, there's another thing you have to do. You know what that is? You have to make a purchase, a deliberate purchase. (laughs) You have to... (laughs) And they ask for your credit card number, all that kind of stuff, or PayPal, whatever. You got to select, and then you got to hit yes to submit or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's the same way when it comes to salvation. You got to so you got you to think through this thing and, and do, I, do I really want Jesus Christ? And then when you come to, you've got to hit submit. You've got to hit yes. You got to say yes, and that's that's by saying yes, God, I'm ready. I want to trust you. I want you to be my. My Savior, are you in Christ this Christmas season? If not, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer of God's people, sent down from heaven that we might be saved. John 1 says, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We were born of God, born of God, not because of anything that anybody did. We see Christ's redemption. We can have the full rights as children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, through Christ's redemption. That's the gift. We become sons and daughters of God. Verses 5 through 7. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. That's the language that Jesus actually spoke. 
the New Testament gives us that word. Abba means daddy. It's more a very intimate word. Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, an heir. With son comes heir, inheritance rights. No longer a slave, but a son. Let's redeem those under the law. Galatians 4 is about adoption. You know there's some famous adopted people. I have a boy. All kinds of people are adopted. Here's a, here's a real quick profile of some of the people who were adopted. Simone Biles, who is given. Steve Jobs. Keisha Cole. Malcolm X. Baltimore's Edgar Allan Poe. Do we, do we claim him? Edgar Allan Poe? <laughs> I don't know if we claim him or not. Baltimore's Babe Ruth. And there's others. You Google it. It's amazing the, the number of people who, who you know, who you see, who are famous, who you know from now or from history, who were not raised by their parents, but raised by others, maybe a, a, a family member, relative, or, or, or just through legal adoption. It's amazing. In the ancient world, as in our world, there were two ways of gaining inheritance um, from a parent. Of course, there's birth, to be born into a family. The other was adoption. We have adoption, of course. This is Paul's using this phrase, this concept here. To be selected to be a full-fledged member of the family when you were not a full-fledged member by blood. No matter how one became part of the family, uh, the very young child could not get their inheritance rights if they were too young. It makes a lot of sense. The fathers would set the age when the rights would, would kick in. I heard this morning was four, excuse me, it was 14 was the age that I, that, I, that I heard this week. But adoption, you see, we, we who are adopted into the body of Christ have future inheritance rights. It's interesting that, that in, in the Gospel of John, sonship is, is, is more you're born again. You're kind of, is the first way. You're born into God's family. Paul seems to prefer the idea that you're adopted into God's family. He likes that image. Both of those, those images, of course, work in salvation. But, but we, have, we have inheritance rights. And so verse 7 says, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Because, because inheritance rights come with being a, a, a son. Of course, part of being a son is you have a new father. And, that, and that's where the passage goes there. It goes there. That you have a father. And, 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 and not just a father, but one who you call daddy, and which is, which is that, that Aramaic phrase uh, of, of intimacy. You see, th this fullness of time thing is, is, is something that we need to understand that, that God cares about us personally, intimately. And, and God knows us even before we make the decision to come to him, and he comes to us individually in the right time. Have you thought, ever thought about that as you look at your life, at the sovereignty of God? How God, how God caught you at the right time. I, I think about off, that often about my life. God got me pretty early. I think, uh, I mean, humanly speaking, it would have been hard for God if he'd have got me later. Now, that's not good theology. It's not true, but that's a joke. You know, God got me early. I don't, I don't know why, but I, I'm thankful that he did. I think I was spared a lot of headaches, some headaches in life, because God got a hold of me rather early. But God, God comes to each of us in the fullness of time. And God is wise. We need to understand and appreciate that about our God. Because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
God says, God's purpose was not only to secure our sonship by his son, but to assure us of it by his spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity working together. He sent his son that we might have the status of sonship. He sent his spirit that we might have the experience of it. We have the status of being sons, and we have the experience of being sons and daughters. This comes through the affectionate, confidential intimacy of our access to God in prayer, in which we find ourselves assuming the attitude and using the language, not of slaves, but of sons. So when you pray, you see, you don't have to act like you're begging God as a slave begging a master. No, you're a son talking to his father. You're a daughter talking to his father. That's, that's what, that's, the, the, the spirit of God gives us the, 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 the right and, and gives us the, the instinct to do that. So we can now see God as our father, not as our judge, not as one who, who we've got to beg because he doesn't love us. No, he's not just, he's not just the man upstairs. No, there's a personalness now to, to our relationship to God. No, just, just the other day, there was a funeral. It was actually, there were two funerals I saw, but the first funeral I had, I accessed was, uh, was for, for President uh, Bush, Bush 41, and the one that I had a chance to watch some of was uh, the one in D.C. And in that, in, I don't know if you, had, if you caught some of that service, the sliding screen service, but um, the, I guess the, the high point, as I watched it, was when his son, uh, made some comments. His son did his eulogy. Uh, very, very. Just, it was a wonderful moment. If you and if you if you have a father, it, you, you you said you were just gripped as you watched it. You have a father that you loved and cared for. You were gripped as you followed. And um, I mean, he's the president, and he gave this eulogy for his dad, who was president. That's unique. That's unique. You know, I had the privilege of doing my dad's eulogy uh, years, several years ago, many years ago. And so I, as I, so I, I can appreciate what uh, uh, George Bush the 43rd was going through in trying to put, put that thing together and then deliver it. I can appreciate some of that. Some of you know uh, my dad. That's my dad. Um, that's, that's my dad. That was my dad. He passed away several years ago. But that was him um, um, when he got married and right after World War II, which he fought in. Again, a connection with Bush. My, Bush. Bush was in World War II. My dad was part of the Army Corps of Engineers in, in Africa and India. And... Um, part of that great generation that they call it. Um, that was my dad. I mean, that's my mom and my dad. Um, it's, if you have a great dad, treasure that. Whether it's a natural dad or an adopted dad, treasure that. And dads, be a great dad. Be a great dad. Your kids, your kids need you. One of, one of the things about, about that message that I heard from, from Bush was that, um, you know, during the first part of the service, the president was the president. But there was a transition in that service where he became very personal. He became a person. He became a dad to his kids. And, and that was the moment. And, you know, that's the reality that, that happens uh, uh, with any great man. I, I, think, I think my dad was a great man. My dad, was, my dad fought in the war. He, he, he got married and, and, and raised uh, five kids, loved his wife for over 50 years, uh, worked. Uh, he, he came to D.C. to get a job and. And, and racism smacked him in the face, didn't get that job, but he found another job, worked at that job, became a government worker, became, became um, 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 very prominent in government. He, was still, he still was um, um, 
in the Army Reserves. So while he was working for the government, he was also concerned about things of justice. One of the stories of my dad's life was that the March on Washington, you know, the, the government were, the African-American government workers were told, don't go to that march. If you go, you're going to lose your job. My dad and others, they said, no, we're going to the march. <laughs> so they went to the, at, at, at the, at the, 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 the possibility of, of, of losing their job, they didn't lose their job. But my dad was a great man. And um, many people, you know, deacon of the church and all that stuff. And many people call, called him all kinds of things. He was called uh, Jimmy. He was called James. He was actually called J.B. His name was James Booker. Most people knew him as J.B., by the way, which is ironic. But we knew him as dad because we knew him, him in that role as one who, who, who loved us, who we could go to, who, who, who was approachable. And, 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 and that's what Paul wants us to understand about the gospel. This God who is so powerful to make the universe, who's so powerful to come to this world through his son, gives us his Holy Spirit, gives us redemption through his son, and says, you don't have to call me the big guy in the sky anymore. Call me daddy. Call me daddy. That's, what God, that, that's the gospel. No other faith system asks someone to call God daddy. That's the essence of Christian faith. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the Advent is about. Jesus came to give us access to a father in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us. We have redemption through Jesus. We have adoption into God's family. We inherit eternal life as a free gift. God delights in turning slaves into sons. If you've never trusted Christ today, do it. There's a song, a lyric of a song, we'll close with it. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom. Gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into, my, into thy health. Out of my want and into thy wealth. Out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of the cross. That wondrous cross, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of earth's sorrows, into thy balm. Out of life's storms. And into thy calm, out of distress, the jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come. Into thy blessed will to abide, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself, to dwell in thy love. Out of despair, to raptures above. Upward, for I on wings like a dove, Jesus, I come to thee. And finally, out of the fear and dread of the tomb. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into the joy and light of thy home. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depth of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold. Ever thy glorious face to behold. Jesus, I come to thee. Father God, while we were yet sinners, your son came to die for us in a 
on a cruel cross that became a wonderful cross. Because through it, we became sons and daughters of the living God. How we thank you for that truth. Lord, I would pray for anyone who doesn't understand the simplicity of that truth, that it's not through their works and their effort and, and fearing you, but they can just finally, when they die, find out they're going to heaven. No, it's because of what you've done for us. It's freely offered. We just ask us to come. Come, O come, Emmanuel. Come in simple faith. But still, that, that truth in our lives, that we might be transformed people, loving you every day. In Jesus' name, we would pray. Amen. Let's close our time with.